Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up another uh, busy week. Today is the day we've been waiting for. We didn't know it was going to be today till yesterday. The words kind of started filtering, filtering out that today we're finally getting the uh, announcement from the White House on its biofuels plan. We've been waiting for this for weeks, and we're going to talk about it today. Scott Irwin, ag economist at the University of Illinois, will be joining us a little bit later on to talk about that. Also, we're going to talk trade today. Our chief ag negotiator, Ambassador Greg Dowd, will join us. We'll go behind the scenes. He'll give us a a kind of look behind the curtain and what they were working on, uh, the, the really tough parts and what they had to uh, go through to get the U.S.-Japan trade deal together and what this deal has and what it means for U.S. agriculture. We'll also get his thoughts on the upcoming talks with China, and we'll talk EU and USMCA as well. So lots of trade talk today with Ambassador Greg Dowd. And we're going to get a harvest report. There is some harvesting going on in central Illinois. We're going to talk with a farmer uh, here in my state of Illinois about the harvest progress so far. But the breaking news today for agriculture is the RFS announcement, and joining us now from Reuters is Jarrett Renshaw. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. We've been waiting for this, as I said, for some time. Uh, what do we know, and what are your thoughts on the announcement? Sure. Um, so what do we know? Uh, so the announcement just came out around 10 o'clock officially, and uh, the it seems like the EPA is promising to push up volumes, uh, the mandated volumes up higher, though it doesn't say specifically how and how how high, and it's also promising to make up for uh, exempted gallons, and it doesn't say explicitly how they're going to do it, other than to say that um, they will, in the future, starting in 2020, they will account for any exempted gallons, and then through the budget process, it looks like they're going to try to do some infrastructure stuff to get E15 into the market penetrate deeper into the market through infrastructure improvements. So you know, I think the headline is the, uh, the, the administration's committed in paper to doing things, uh, but we're still looking for some you know, more specifics on exactly the mechanics of it. As is so often the case with things like this, short on details, but it looks like um, they're, they're addressing the reallocation issue. There, I don't think there's any way to, around that. I think that explicitly is, is, is what they say. Um, you know, listen, I think everybody's a little cynical, um, including myself. Uh, so they say they're going to address it. Uh, what we're hearing is some kind of three-year rolling average. So they'll do some the, the last three years of exempted gallons. They'll come up with a number, and that's what they'll plunk into the RVO. That's our understanding. Um, but they don't say it. Um, but... I guess you could you could I guess you could account for a, a portion of the the exempted gallons or do some other variation, just because they left it unanswered. I think it's it's, re, it's reasonable to kind of speculate that, you know, it won't be as ambitious as as we thought or as we think. But I think we'll know deeper in the day when the EPA uh, talks a little bit more to reporters and 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 and, and, and flushes some of this out. That I think we'll have some of those unanswered questions answered. Uh, by mid-afternoon at first blush taking it at its word what the intent would seem to be does it does it restore the integrity if you will of the 15 billion gallon commitment of the rfs meaning it's not going to be uh uh you know weakened by waivers i think the short answer is no although in the long term maybe yes because it's a three-year rolling average, the out year, which is the third year, you've had much lower exempted gallons, so that's going to drag down the actual number. Um, I, I didn't do the math in my head, but um, so for 2020, the, the actual accounting doesn't work in the biofuels' favor because it, it, it incorporates a year where there, there wasn't as many gallons exempted. So uh, I think year two, year three of this rollout, then you start seeing some, some, you know, some. some more significant gains, um, and then I think the one the one point that that people always stress to me is that we do have a, a heavy surplus of RINs in the RIN bank now as a result of these exemptions. So they're, they're going to off that's going to act as some kind of buffer as, uh, over the years um, to to kind of weigh down the the, the the effectiveness of the 
program. So I do think there's still some some nagging uh, remnants of the uh, of the program, but certainly the biofuels industry this morning is happy. So I don't want to downplay, and, and I think that, that the senators and everybody seems to be uh, singing from the same page and and happy with the outcome. Um, but I, I I do think there's some market realities there that that don't go away with a snap of a finger. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw from Reuters. Is there anything in there about partial waivers, which has been a big topic of debate here in the last few days, especially leading up to this? Uh, is there anything in there that would grant or say EPA is going to grant partial waivers, which has brought up the question, are those even legal or not? Sure. Uh, there's nothing specific uh, in, in, in what they announced a few minutes ago about that. Um, but, again, there's a lot of nonspecific items. Um, we're hoping to get some answers and ask the EPA directly about that later today. Um, there has been at least one instance under the Obama administration where they have issued partial waivers, and, and there was a direction by the, the, some, some small refinery state senators um, to direct the EPA to, to grant uh, half or partial waivers um, under their scoring system. So there, there is a precedent for it, um, and... The EPA at this moment has been getting recommendations to issue partial waivers from the Department of Energy and has has converted them into full waivers. So there seems to be a, a roadmap to do it. There seems to see precedent. Um, I guess it, it matters either the political will um, to, to move forward on those things, and um, I think time will tell. Um, so we believe, as I see there today, we believe that's part of the plan. Um, and I think we'll, we'll hopefully have more details on that later today as the EPA becomes a little bit more um, forthright, um, given that the, the details are not public. Hearing anything from the oil industry yet? You know, one thing that struck me is I thought it was kind of funny was in, in, the, um, in the press release, the statement that went out, they called it an agreement. And I, that assumes that the oil, the oil industry mm-hmm. agreed to this. Um, and I, so I think that's, uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of laughable. Obviously, the oil industry had likes none of this. Um, they have been silent the last couple of days, and I think they're trying to, at least with reporters, or at least with you know, the people I talk to. And, and I, my takeaway is that they're 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 figuring out a strategy here. Um, you know, I think we all have to be mindful now that this 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 plan, whatever we see today, and whatever it kind of manifests in the rule, will shift now to the EPA and its rulemaking process. And I, I don't have to tell you that the biofuel community is pretty skeptical about the EPA. So, uh, and, and I think the energy industry, the oil industry, will, will see an opportunity there to maybe change the, the direction of this issue. Yeah, this story is not completely written yet, so we'll continue to watch and watch for your reporting, Jared. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. More on the RFS announcement coming up with Scott Irwin from the University of Illinois next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Whittall. And one more thing before we let you go, your reaction to all the attention, all the publicity, all the money going into these plant and cell-based products. 
we're going to continue to fight them, and we're going to be louder in our fighting because they continue to market themselves by disparaging us. And I tell you, if the only marketing plan that you have for your product is to disparage your competition, then you probably don't really have a good product. And I think everybody in the livestock industry would uh, would agree with that anyway. So we have got to fight back on them, uh, stop them from disparaging us, and more importantly, work with USDA and FDA to do everything we can to prevent them from using the term beef. So you're going to see more and more from NCBA over the next several weeks as we roll out more plans there to combat what has been an unnecessary attack on us and one that we're just not going to stand for anymore, Mike. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about Credence Soybeans. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we have now the long-awaited announcement from the White House on its RFS, its biofuels uh, plan policy, although we still are waiting for some details. But the headline seems to be uh, that it would guarantee at least 15 billion gallons for renewable fuels, even with waivers that may be granted. Let's talk about that with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, what do you think about what we've seen so far of this plan? I think it's much less than advertised. Really? Why? Because it doesn't address the key issue, which is the lost gallons that were waived between 2016 and 2018. It only, in essence, stops the bleeding going forward. And so you still have this giant overhang of waived gallons from 2016 to 2018 um, that are never going to be um, gotten back. And that was a big part of what the biofuels industry said they wanted was reallocation of those lost gallons. So you're saying this will not do it? Well, it's tricky. What they will do is they, you know, we don't have the exact details yet, but it's a three-year moving average reallocation. And at least in that sense, it is a step forward because it will stop the... Uh, accumulation of further RIN uh, surplus going forward, but there's since there's apparently no change in the you know allowance or number of SREs that will be operated going forward. So in other words, think of this. What has happened with the SRE program is it's accumulated a huge bank of surplus RINs that keep being re- released into the marketplace when these uh, SREs are granted, and that's how the obligations are reduced. Uh, 
um, you know, we're going into this process with about a four billion gallon surplus, and we're, by my calculations, in 2022, we'll still have about that same amount of uh, excess RINs due to the SREs. So, you know, we're we're plateauing or we're putting a ceiling on that total loss, but we didn't get all the gallons back. We're talking with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin about the RFS announcement, the biofuels announcement today from the, the White House. Uh, so, Scott, it, it does put a lot of this still back in the hands of EPA, doesn't it? And that's where the problem has been for the biofuels industry for some time. Well, um, no, I mean, now we have, in essence, a program that is um, um, has some more parameters about the program. Here's, I think, the deal the way the ag people saw it and different than the way I do. They are willing to, in essence, give up those 4 billion gallons that have been waived and we're never going to get back because they see this then as putting the mandates on a trajectory starting in 2020 so that when you go forward into the 2020s that, you know, eventually um, you can uh, see then a, a nice trajectory for the mandates. The problem is, is I'm not nearly as optimistic as the biofuels and ag interests are about what's going to happen after 2022. After 2022, you get, you know, is the big reset on the mandate volumes. And I personally just, I'm just don't see anything, but I'm negative about what the likelihood of, of uh, current mandates surviving near these volumes after 2022 particularly under our current administration. Um, and that's just a difference. You know, they're willing to trade off those four. I wanted to get everything made up in the next three years before 2022 because I think after 2022 it's going to be a dogfight to uh, maintain these uh, mandate levels. We're not hearing much from the oil industry. Um, maybe it's too soon, or do you think are they somehow – without admitting it, happy with this? Or what, how would you gauge uh, their reaction to it? They're certainly not happy about this, but they are willing to live with it because exactly of the point I talked about earlier. If you wanted to know whether you have a real victory in this RFS war, just listen to whether how much screaming is coming out of the large refining community. They didn't get one thing that they wanted, which was a, a cap on RINs out of this process. Yes, there's been some upward pressure on RIN prices because of um, this uh, proposal being announced, but it's nothing compared to what the pressure should have been if it had been a full victory. And so to me, that's the ultimate measure of how much has been accomplished is uh, just look at what the other side, the refining industry, um, is saying. They're not saying much, and the RIN market has gone up a bit, but it's not been explosive. That's all you really need to know about the limited nature of this win for the ag and biofuel side. The president was obviously trying to find a win-win here to appease both sides. Um, was that accomplished, or do you think one side or the other won more than the other in this? Well, obviously, I, I view this as um, a definitely a win for um, the refining side. You know, this this was like in a you know a, a war where you make a defensive retreat, uh, and uh, but you're still you know in a particular battle you make a defensive retreat, but you're still winning the war, and that's the way I would characterize uh, this. They've made a defensive retreat. They're not happy about it, but they're still winning the war. So even though we have not heard from all the uh, biofuels groups yet, but some of the initial uh, uh, word out of their camps and even from some supporters like uh, Senator Grassley 
they're saying it's good news. You're saying it's not as good news as it may be portrayed at this time. That is my personal uh, position on this. Yes, it is a step forward in the sense that it stops the accumulation of um, waived gallons from SREs going forward, but the elephant in the room are the huge number of gallons that were waived over 2016 to 18 that are never going to be recovered under this proposal. And what about the so issue? I guess it's, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just it just seems like, um, you know, maybe they felt that that was, you know, the best that they could do under the circumstances. But my standard is what the congressional intention was for the RFS. And it, if you use that as your standard, then you should be getting all the waived gallons back, not just some in the future. There's been a lot of debate about the use of partial waivers and whether or not they're even legal or not. Uh, do you think that's something we're going to be seeing moving forward? I haven't seen any talk about that recently. Uh, so I think it's such a squishy concept and, like you said, um, questionable legality. Under the current provisions, it seems to me like you know the ag and biofuels are saying politically – this is our compromise. Keep the SRE program going just like it has been in the past as long as, you know, everything's on the up and up in terms of the application process and the criteria. And then we'll have this reallocation starting in 2020, and we're fine with it. All right, Scott, interesting day, and we'll be uh, looking at this even closer and getting more reactions as we move forward. But thanks uh, for your initial thoughts on this. Appreciate it. You bet. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Take care. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin, he's not uh, sold on this announcement for the biofuels industry, as some are. We'll be getting more reaction to it, more analysis of it, a breakdown of it uh, coming up on Monday's program. Coming up next, though, we're going to talk trade with our chief ag negotiator at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, Ambassador Greg Dowd. We'll talk about that U.S.-Japan deal. We'll look ahead to talks with China, latest on USMCA and the EU. Lots of trade talk next with Ambassador Greg Dowd. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about credenced soybeans. Always read and follow label directions. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. With Make-A-Wish, the impossible becomes possible. A girl battling cancer can become a race car driver battling the course. The boy showing all the nurses his fire trucks can take the helm of a real one. Wishes can give kids with critical illnesses the strength to keep fighting, get better, and grow up. Where there's a wish, there's a way. Wishes need you. Visit Make-A-Wish at Wish.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. 
Narrow to moderate losses are seen in lean hog futures as continued nearby pressure seen Thursday is being renewed and gaining momentum. The overall pressure across the entire complex is causing cattle futures to back away from previous gains. Corn prices are lower and now we're into the trading session. On the demand side, U.S. corn exports are off to a poor start in 2019-2020 with total commitments at less than half of last season's levels and Brazil still offering a cheaper corn price than at the U.S. Gulf. Grain traders are watching for an official announcement from the White House regarding a new aid package for U.S. biofuel, which could particularly benefit ethanol, a corn-based fuel that has been hurt by recent retaliatory decisions in favor of gasoline refineries. If the aid package is enough to reverse the trend of ethanol refineries closing across the Midwest due to poor margins, then corn futures may bounce higher on today's trading session. On the Board of Trade, December corn down four cents at three eighty-four and three quarters of a cent. November soybeans a penny and a half cent higher at nine thirteen and a quarter of a cent. December Minneapolis spring wheat up three and three quarters at five thirty-three and a quarter of a cent. Kansas City wheat December down two at four oh four. December Chicago wheat down a fraction of a cent at four eighty-eight and a half cent. For livestock at the Merck, December live cattle down 20 cents at 110.62. November feeders down 5 cents at 142.05. December lean hogs down 70 cents at 67.40. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 192 points. The Nasdaq composite up 51 points. The S&P up 14. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. We're very happy to have with us today our Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, Ambassador Greg Dowd. Greg, good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. How are you? Very good. Lots going on. Uh, Can't wait to get your perspective and some insight onto some of these uh, uh, trade deals, one we have and two that we hope to have soon. Uh, let's start with U.S.-Japan. That deal, take us behind the scenes in negotiating that from an agricultural standpoint. What were the key areas and uh, the challenges you faced in getting that deal hammered out? Well, Mike, the first thing I would say is we were under this strange assumption that TPP was, we had it, it was going to happen, it was all done. But we have to recall that uh, several years ago, neither uh, presidential candidates supported this deal. It wasn't going to happen. And we were in a situation now where Canada, Australia, the European Union, uh, not one but two uh, yearly changes and reductions in tariffs had kicked in. And we were in real trouble here with Japan. And uh, this was well known here at USTR. And so we've worked and been working for the last several months to get an agricultural deal, and we have digital trade and a few other things as well, but this was primarily an agricultural deal between the U.S. and Japan, the first phase in a U.S.-Japan free trade agreement. So what we've done here is, is Japan is now our third biggest market, $14 billion in ag trade. About uh, $5 billion of that was already duty-free. J- 
Japan is going to reduce uh, agricultural tariffs of uh, $7.2 billion. We're going to match that with a reduction in industrial tariffs. And the good news here is uh, Congress does not need to touch that. Uh, thank goodness, Mike. And uh, we, uh, we now have a situation where the Japanese diet uh, has to uh, review this uh, deal. And, and hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, uh, this deal will kick in on January 1, uh, 2020. And on day one, beef, pork, wheat, uh, everything will be matched up with the, exactly the same tariffs as Canada, Australia, and these other countries. So this is pretty much what we would have had with Japan under TPP. There have been some questions about dairy. How about that? Yeah, the uh, the answer is overall it matches up with about 90%. Uh, with dairy, uh, it matches up with a little over 80%. And the problem with dairy is some of there were a few dairy products, butter, evaporated milk were, were two that come to mind. These were TPP-wide tariffs. These were or tariff rate quotas that were given across to all of the countries, and there was just no way to pull that back out and give us a piece of that TPP-wide TRQ. And so we weren't able to figure out in this short uh, deal, this short period of time, how to redo that in a way that would that would make us whole and all of that. So the uh, those couple of areas didn't work. We did figure out a way to deal with skim milk powder that I think will work, and we didn't. Uh, we weren't able to get rice into the deal. But uh, pretty much everything other than that, uh, we're in pretty good shape. Did the auto issue threaten these talks? Did, did it was it a potential deal breaker for getting a deal done? Well, that's the remarkable thing, Mike, and, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail there, but uh, there nothing uh, was provided to Japan on autos or auto parts as a part of this. Mm-hmm. We're talking with U.S. Trade Ambassador Greg Dowd. Let's now switch to China. We're looking forward to more talks uh, with China, uh, evidently high-level talks. What can you tell us? Uh, we're going to have another round of conversations next week. Um, that's about all I can tell you at this point, uh, and that's a good thing. You know, Now that we have the uh, 70th anniversary of the Communist Party, uh, rule in China over with uh, immediately. So they're off right now. It's like a week-long holiday. Uh, so the interesting thing is, as soon as this is over with, they're, uh, they're going to be right back here in Washington. Uh, we're going to be sitting down and, and having additional conversations and see where this goes. But that's, uh, you know, they've been buying some ag products. Uh, we're re-engaged in conversations. And, and so all we can do, Mike, is just keep talking and see if we can figure out a way to work this out. Unlike with Japan, this we're, we're still dealing, trying to get a comprehensive overall deal, not just ag-specific, right, with China. That That is exactly right. This isn't just about agriculture. This is about uh, intellectual property, forced technology transfer. There's a whole currency. There, there's a whole litany of things here. And I, and I will say, on the ag side of this, Mike, this isn't about tariffs. This is about all of the non-tariff trade barriers. This is about the fact that China hasn't bought a pound of poultry from us since 2015 due to high path avian influenza. This is about uh, the other restrictions that that we have, uh, the two WTO cases that we've won versus China uh, and their domestic supports and the way they administer tariff rate quotas. This is about the fact that China is the only country in the world that requires you to send them the seeds before they'll approve a biotech trade. So these are uh, a lot of litany of of, uh, long hours and hours and hours of conversations that we've had with them. I have uh, either been across the table either face-to-face or by video conference with my counterpart in these negotiations, the Vice Minister of Agriculture of China, 21 times talking about these issues. Do you have to start over each time, or do they continue? Or, or Do you lose momentum? Do you pick up where you left off? How, how do you describe that process? No, Mike, these conversations, the, the vice minister has said many times that they're historic in nature, and I think that's exactly right. We, uh, we have uh, come a long, long way in, in these conversations. Uh, if we're able to get to where we need to be here. I, I think this will be an extraordinary step forward in agricultural trade, and hopefully trade overall, uh, between our two countries. But, uh, you know, it's the old adage, uh, nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to, and that's uh, that's where we're still sticking to. We're talking with U.S. Trade Ambassador Greg Dowd. Greg, we've had a WTO ruling in the U.S.'s favor 
in a case with the EU and opens up the door to tariffs uh, perhaps on EU products. Uh, the dairy industry has said they welcome this news because of some issues there. What can you tell us about the situation, trade issues between the U.S. and EU? Well, this goes back, this issue between Airbus and Boeing and the WTO goes back some 15 years. And we've been arguing about it for years, and finally we've gotten to a point now where the WTO has ruled in terms of uh, what we are entitled to, in terms of uh, retaliation on our compensation on this to get this fixed. So this is an effort to, you know, the Ambassador Lighthizer, my boss, has said that we got to get sit down at the table and, and get this all resolved. So this is the next phase in the process. You know, uh, agriculture is, uh, you know, when we had the steel and aluminum tariffs, uh, they hit our agricultural products a little bit. Um, you know, agriculture is, is between the U.S. and the EU is, is uh, there's a robust level of trade there. I might mention, however, that the trade deficit in agriculture alone between the U.S. and the EU, we have a 15 billion dollar trade deficit in ag between the U.S. and the EU. So there's obviously uh, a lot of sensitivity to that topic as well. The president uh, recently talked about at the UN meeting all the different countries he'd been talking to. Are you working on, are you close to any deals with any other countries? Uh, Mike, we're talking to a lot of countries every day. In fact, it's a remarkable situation here in, in the uh, Ag Affairs shop at USDR. Uh, multiple com- uh, countries and, and commodities every single day. Uh, you know, we're, uh, you've seen in the media that we're having conversations uh, with uh, India, um, you know, there's ongoing conversations with uh, Indonesia, Brazil. I was recently in uh, Vietnam and Thailand. Here in the last year, I've been in Morocco. Uh, we've, we have conversations going on all around the world all the time on increasing access for U.S. ag exports. And finally, of course, we wait to see what happens with USMCA. Some say we're, we'll get a vote done this year. Others in Congress say we're not. What can you tell us about this deal that makes it better than the old NAFTA? Well, Mike, I'm optimistic that this is going to get done. Um, you know, the, the simple fact of the matter is, is that regardless of what industry you're talking about between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico as it relates to USMCA, there is not a single part of this where the deal is not as good as it was before. In every single aspect of our economies between our three countries, this deal is the same or better than what NAFTA was. So if that's the case, why on earth wouldn't you support this? And that, that's just the simple point of this. I, I think Ambassador Lighthizer, Ambassador C.J. Mahoney uh, from Russell, Kansas, I might mention, just down the road from where I grew up, they have done an unbelievable job of helping all of the new members of Congress uh, since 10 years ago when we last uh, passed a trade deal up on Capitol Hill. Um, help them understand how important this is for the U.S. economy. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, in, in her recent comments, has been supportive of this. I think this is going to get done. When they, when we've seen where House Democrats said they're worried about, uh, you know, oversight of this, enforcement, things like that. How do you, how in your office do you address those kind of issues to get to make changes that they're asking for? Well, Ambassador Lighthizer has been engaged with them and the committee on that uh, up in the House uh, for now, I would say, months uh, with regard to that. And, and they're making progress. We saw the other day that, uh, you know, of that being the case. And uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, we, they can wrap up these discussions and get this thing going. I think the concern here more than anything else is, to be perfectly honest, Mike, Congress isn't going to be in session this many more days this year. So, uh, we, you know, time is of the essence here. Uh, but the conversations are good. We just uh, we got to get this thing across the goal line as quickly as we can. Trade Ambassador, our Chief Ag Negotiator, Greg Dowd. Greg, always good to talk with you. Thanks for your time and for the update. Mike, always a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Coming up next, a harvest report from Illinois. Stay with us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently, on Adams on Agriculture, in the state of Wisconsin, legislation has been proposed to stop the use of misleading labels on imitation milk and dairy products. And here to tell us about that is Tom Crave, president of the Dairy Business Association in Wisconsin and a farmer and cheesemaker in Wisconsin. Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, Tell us about this proposed legislation in Wisconsin. Well, it is being proposed that any product that is not truly milk or cheese be not be able to use the milk or cheese label. It's, we think it's very simple. Uh, words do matter. Milk is milk, cheese is cheese. And we're just trying to have transparency for the consumers to be able to make an informed decision when they are buying products. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, what was already a late starting harvest is uh, off to an uneven start because of uh, the ongoing weather issues. Uh, A lot of wet conditions and other adverse conditions keeping some farmers from even getting started yet. Others have started and have had to stop. And um, it's just been... Uh, a challenging 2019 all the way around, a year where the weather made it hard to get the crop in, now weather making it hard to get the crop out. Uh, but in some places, more getting done than others. Um, where I'm at here in central, west central Illinois, um, quite a bit of harvesting has been going on. We're going to get a report now from Marty Marr. He uh, farms in Sangamon and Morgan County, so west of Springfield. Marty, thanks for joining us. When we look around, even uh, to the northern part of Illinois, uh, here in central, west central Illinois, we are fortunate to have had the weather we've had to be able to get as much done so far as we've had. Yeah, it really feels good to be rolling here right now, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get some good stretches of the weather to uh, operate in here you know, the next week or two, we hope. How much have you done so far? Well, we've done about, uh, oh, maybe not quite a third of our corn. Uh, we're starting to make our way through it, and uh, we've got some beans cut, too. We've only had a couple days of bean cutting in, but we're uh, going to be switching back to uh, some beans here today and uh, hopefully get a lot of those acres out also. Have you been surprised at the yields so far? Yeah, there has been some variability. Like we got finally got into a piece where there's some uh, wet areas and everything. It's kind of trimmed those yields down a bit. But uh, overall, though, we feel uh, uh, pretty f- real fortunate and blessed to uh, uh, be getting some of the yields that we are. Uh, it's certainly not going to be a 2014 year, which was just an awesome year for so many people here in the Midwest. But uh, uh, for the challenges we faced here this year, uh, we feel uh, blessed, like I said. Very lucky. What about you? What are your moisture levels been so far? Uh, right now, we've uh, we finally got into some uh, 15 and 16 here yesterday, but we're kind of back into a field here today that's in the uh, 18 to 19 and a half area, but uh, still uh, acceptable enough to start filling these bins and uh, try to get over some acres. We uh, uh, feel good. Uh, the sun's shining and uh, things are rolling here today. The beans have been a really big question mark. Of course, we're coming off a year in this part of uh, Illinois that had huge bean yields last year, so uh, have to keep everything in context when comparing to a year ago. But uh, what have your early bean uh, uh, results uh, shown you? Uh, the first field we went to was a 3-5 variety, and uh, they made right at 70, oh, not quite 71 bushel. So we feel pretty blessed uh, to receive that. They were planted... Uh, uh, just very latter part of May, and the rest of our beans were planted in the first week of June. So uh, things are turning out better than expected here, And uh, but I'm anxious to see how they all weathered uh, with some of these uh, rainfall amounts we got here through the summer. It's just it's just such an unusual year to see, as you drive around here, you see a, a field harvested, and right next to it, uh, a field that's still very green. Oh, yeah, we've got some... Uh, a field that we had to redo in a river bottom area that's still quite green right now. But they are turning. This weather actually is these rainfall, uh, the rain that we've had here uh, recent has really turned a lot of fields, knocked a lot of leaves off and bringing them to us here pretty quick. I think you're going to hear about a lot of beans being cut here, at least in this area, uh, next week for sure. Yeah, in this central, west central area of Illinois, uh, we've had some rain, but not the heavy rains that other areas had. Just like northern Illinois has just had so much more rain. Uh, we've just kind of been on that line, haven't we? Yeah, we sure have. <laughs> but it's, uh, there is quite a bit of activity here. And uh, the uh, last time we delivered here to a local elevator, the, the a lot of bean traffic in there, uh, along with corn. But the bean acres are really starting to come out right now. Anxious to see that happen. Have you seen much... Uh, evidence of uh of disease damage or insect damage uh, this year uh i haven't seen that yet in the beans we've been into we just saw some uh <clears throat> excuse me a little bit of stalk rot that occurred here in, in uh, some varieties but i think it's due to some of the wetting uh, wetter ponding conditions that we experienced 
and it's starting to show up here a little bit. So I'm anxious to see. We're about to get into an area where uh, the fungicide was put on. We kind of did a, a test uh, strip through there uh, where we left part of it just to see what kind of response we would get. And it looks like uh, fungicide uh, definitely uh, paid off for us here this year, at least on this farm. Marty, planting dates are all over the place. Uh, how much replanting did you do? And kind of give us an idea of when you started planting and when you got done planting. Well, we started uh, just to uh, kind of get things tested out and everything. Uh, we uh, did a little bit on the, uh, I think it was the 12th of, uh, 10th or 12th of April. And uh, we... Uh, I think wrapped up our corn planting by the around the 20th of May. So we were real fortunate there. We did have to go back and replant certain areas of a field, but not a whole field replant. We mostly had just spotting in to do uh, from some of the heavy rains that we received and some of the challenging conditions that we planted into. They weren't ideal by any means, but uh, they did kind of heal up better than we expected. And uh, so we're, like I said, we're really grateful for that. So um, it looks somewhat favorable i know there's a little bit of rain in the forecast but pretty favorable it looks like you might have a stretch of uh you'll really be able to hit it pretty good oh i think so too we're uh, anxious to get out of it like i said we're going to switch back the beans today and then i think we might be in a a little bit of a day off as far as beans go but we're going to go right back to corn this corn's starting to get down to some areas where we can just continue on and hopefully uh, make a big stride here uh definitely by the end of next week we hope very good. Marty, thanks a lot. Uh, have a safe harvest. Thanks for taking time to yeah, be with right. us. We appreciate it. Thank, well, thanks for calling, and thanks. Uh, it's great to be with you. Best of luck, and I hope everybody out there has a safe and uh, safe and productive harvest. All right. Thanks, Marty. Marty Marr, he farms in the Sangamon and Morgan counties west of Springfield, Illinois, and um, harvest moving right along in this area where I'm at. Uh, I know a lot of other areas. I've been talking to farmers around the Midwest, and it's just... Uh, Real challenge. A lot of cold, wet weather, heavy rains in a lot of areas, uh, really either delaying or preventing a harvest from getting underway at all. So it's going to be a long, long harvest season. Well, that wraps it up for a busy day today. Coming up on Monday, we'll get more reaction from the biofuels groups. Uh, we'll talk with the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board, get their reaction to this announcement from uh, the White House today on, uh, on biofuels. So have a great weekend. Hope you'll join us again on Monday on AOA. AOA.